All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. I just did want to take a minute to thank everybody for listening. Um, we've actually gotten a lot of listens. I don't know if they're people from my class or who they are. That's why rating, reviewing, and subscribing really helps me out so I know who I'm reaching. Uh, if you are not a part of my class and you just want to listen to me talk about some history stuff, hey, that's pretty cool. I appreciate it, so thank you guys for doing that. Um, and thank everybody, even the people in my class who are listening to this. We are over 2,400 views or listens to this already. And, you know, that's, I don't know where it's all coming from. We are being heard in about 10 different countries, which is pretty cool. But on top of that, ladies and gentlemen, what the purpose of this is, is to help you be successful in my classroom. And because I'm trying to help you be successful in my classroom, it's very tailor-made towards it. So this is for my American history class. Uh, last week we talked about progressivism and uh, kind of what that meant and how it was a build up to what is going on now. Well, in this week, we're gonna start talking about women and how the women work to start gaining some rights for themselves because the women didn't have rights at this point. So at a certain point, women in kind of the early 1900s, they're really kind of set up, fed up with the fact that they can't work. They don't, they're not, they're expected to give birth and leave it at that. And there's a ton of huge economic and social issues for women. So working class women had worked outside of the home for a long time, but they had difficult jobs, long hours, dangerous conditions, and usually their money went straight to their husbands and fathers and things of that nature. Uh, many women also worked in factories and things of that, but they didn't have the other, you know, they didn't have what people wanted to look for in a worker. So immigrants, African-Americans, and women from rural areas filled jobs in the cities, but they were quickly kind of weeded out because you didn't want to worry about, you know, kind of some of the other things that went on with women. Uh, there, they, there is a huge economic, economic issue. Women got paid less. Uh, the first thing they want to do is limit the number of work hours a week that they had throughout the country. But really what that happened is, you know, <clears throat> the, basically the argument became that how could you be a wife and a mother as well as, you know, kind of all these other, it's all these other things as a worker. So they're gonna start pushing for shorter hours, kind of some of that thing. Now there's also a big movement by uh, women with a social issue and that issue is called the temperance movement. And the temperance movement is this idea that basically you, we should ban alcohol and alcohol should be illegal in, in our country. And the reason being was at the time, men typically would get very drunk, come home and beat on their wives because they were drunk after working a 14 hour shift. That was why women kind of really stepped up on this one was that uh, domestic violence in the early, in the late 1800s and early 1900s was extremely high and nothing like it is today, even though it is still much higher than it probably should be. Uh, the After they kind of started pushing for the temperance movement and they get the 18th Amendment of the Constitution passed, which said alcohol was illegal. So whether you realize this or not, at one point in our country for about, I believe it was about 14 years, alcohol was actually 100% banned in our nation. Well, after they push for that, they're going to start pushing for what is called suffrage. And suffrage is this idea that women can have the right to vote. So as they start 
pushing for these political rights. Uh, you know, we have to go back a little bit farther. We're going to go back to the 1850s where some of these reformers really started. It's actually going to start with a couple women, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and they pushed their entire lives trying to get this right to vote, and they were never really able to see it. Um, in 1869, they're going to form a group called the National Women's Suffrage Association, and they were fighting for a constitutional amendment to get women to vote. In 1872, Susan B. Anthony gets arrested in New York for trying to vote. And she was tried and she was convicted in a federal court, you know, saying that it was illegal for her to vote. Uh, she continued this fight and kept going. In 1887, they finally introduced the, this amendment to Congress. They said, listen, we should probably give women the right to vote. It was failed. It, was, it had failed in 1887. Now, there were new states popping up out west. Those states were Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, and Idaho. And by 1906, when Susan B. Anthony passed away, those were the only four states that allowed women to vote. So things weren't going very well for them in this push to vote. Uh, another thing, they're looking for more rights, all right? Uh, women didn't have all the, all the rights you know, that everybody wanted. They wanted this right to vote, though, because once they got the right to vote, they could get more things happen. So what? there was a woman named Carrie Chapman Cat. She's going to start a group called the National American Women's Suffrage Association, so a little bit different than uh, the one I, I mentioned this, uh, you know, a second ago which was the, uh, what was it, the National Women's Suffrage Association, this is the National American Women's Suffrage Association. And she's going to come up with a winning plan, as she called it, to get them. And the strategy is we're going to work at the state level and work our way up. And this strategy to work at the state level is going to actually be extremely successful. Um, she also, is, as part of the society part of her plan, she's going to recruit wealthy, well-educated women, and she's going to get them all out there. She's going to get them into the, into the, into the streets to help, you know, with that aspect of things and everything like that. They're going to start using non-violent -pro, non protests in 1910, you know, sit-ins, stuff like that to get, to get them stuff uh, kind of going. Finally, it happened in 1916. There was a presidential uh, candidate, or a presidential election, and both candidates, Democratic and the Republican, called for extending the right to vote to women. As the movement gained more support, ironically, more people started fighting against it too. People still continued to believe that women should be at home and not anywhere else. The, end, the National Association opposed to women's suffrage believed that the effort to win the vote would take women's attentions away from the family and volunteer work that benefits society in many ways. But as pressure for women's suffrage grew, the, NA, the NAWS faded away. And when we entered World War I in April of 1917, said that, listen, we need to make the world safe for democracy, including here, meaning we need to have a democracy for our women. It took two years from that point, but uh, in June of 1919, Congress finally approved the 19th Amendment, which state that the right to vote shall not be denied or abridged on account of sex. On April 18, 1920, the Tennessee state tried to challenge all this, but when it, they finally got through, it passed 
and this became the new law. In 1920, women voted in their first election. This election this year, we will have a woman running for vice president. In 100 years, a woman has gone from not being allowed to vote to potentially being the second most important person in American politics. Women have come a very long way. It's time for everybody else to also get that same respect. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, have a great rest of your day. I will talk to you all soon. Goodbye.